0: Hello and welcome to the Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. I'm JT, and each week I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all happy, healthy, and calm. I hope that wherever you are in the world, you and your loved ones are doing as best as you can as we navigate a global pandemic. I know it's a bit of a contentious topic, but uh, I really do hope that the world in general, you know, we can get back to a sense of at least a sense of normality in uh, in the near future, in the next few months. Hopefully, wherever you are, it's not as bad as some areas of the world. And I genuinely wish you all the best and and really hope the best for your immediate future. On today's episode, I'm going to be covering over the life and times of Charles Fort. As I've mentioned before on the program, Charles Fort and his research... And the style of his researching, collecting, publishing of material its made a, a large impact on myself, but also some really famous researchers, authors, and, and, and the like. So I'll be covering that over, and that will take up the majority of, of the program. However, first I just wanted to cover over a few topics. Uh, firstly, I saw an article the other day, actually, sorry, an advertisement about haunted Auckland. Now, for those of you who don't know, I live in Auckland, New Zealand, I live on the southern end of the city. It's quite a large city because we have a lot of water. We've got about uh, 1.65 million people here, uh, which is about a third of the population of our country. But uh, I did find this interesting. I'm going to be looking into it. No promises, but maybe at some point I'll be able to uh, to have the, have the funds and the availability to go and check out this tour, but I'll definitely be looking more into it. Now to kick us off on the topic of Charles Fort. I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to do a segment called News of the Damned. Now, as I've described before, in Charles Fort's first published book of these accounts, was called The Book of the Damned. When Charles Fort referred to damned information, he wasn't talking about a curse of any kind. He was basically saying that it was excluded or ignored by science in general at that time. So it's one of the old tropes is that uh, if they don't understand it, if they can't explain it away, they'll just bury it. You won't hear about it. So uh, in that vein, I just wanted to very briefly cover over three articles. I'll put links in the show notes so you can read more if you would like to. But these would all definitely be at home in one of Charles, Charles Fort's books. So the first story here, it's from NBC News. And it's titled, Why Are So Many People Experiencing Weird Pandemic Dreams? And this definitely taps into the theory of a universal mind and a Kaushik record and how we're all connected on a subconscious level. And whether that's true or false, it's, it's been a long-running theme throughout the ages. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, you go back a few hundred years, lots of mystics and um, true seekers in Europe would... Uh, quote things like this and publish books about this. So it's, it's definitely been a theme in mankind. And that's one of the... Uh, I know that's one of the key tenets of reincarnation. A lot of people who believe in reincarnation, not on a religious level, but on a scientific level, they believe that this is why you can be born and maintain thoughts of another life before... And at some point on the show, I'll be covering over reincarnation and, and some of these past live experiences, especially from, from young people. It's quite interesting. It seems that uh, to most young people, about the age of five six in that range, these memories start to fade. But in the meanwhile, they have very vivid recollections of uh, former lives. So I, I'm not going to go into each one of these articles in depth. This one was published on the 25th of April. And it's just basically stating that there seems to be an uptick in what they call quarantine dreams. So, you know, several people around the world having similar dreams. A lot of it, they believe, has got to do with lockdown stress, uh, job and relationship worries, uh, loss of familiar comforts like going out to eat, being able to have a coffee and the like. So it is, it is interesting. It's a quick read. And uh, I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you'd like to read further. The next article, now this is truly a 40N topic, and uh, this is from theexpress.co.uk. And this article is titled Alien God Discovered on Mars UFO Hunters Make Bizarre Claim. So this was published April 27th, and it basically, uh, just to sum it up for you, basically a prolific conspiracy theorist who I haven't heard of, Scott C. Waring, has uh, identified in a photo what he believes to be a statue that's of a uh, gold-type material uh, on a cliff on the side of a cliff on Mars. And he postulates that ancient Martians prayed to this being for protection, as uh, many cultures on Earth have prayed to deities throughout the years. So I found this quite interesting. Uh, and as I say, this has a direct tie-in to uh, the topic of, of tonight. Charles Fort, in one of his early books that he destroyed, which I'll be covering over, he postulated that the Earth was being controlled by uh, an entity from Mars, an intelligence on Mars that we didn't know anything about, but that they were manipulating life so it's this is this would definitely fill uh, fit right into one of Charles Fort's books and the last article I'm just going to cover over here briefly is from the daily and this article states strange blue lights appear in skies across the world as sightings flood internet and this one was published on the 16th of April And this is basically talking about sightings of blue lights, and especially in clouds, everywhere from Madrid and Spain, New York City, parts of Australia. Now, again, I always strive not to paint the picture for you here. I always want the final decision to be made by the listener. However, uh, you know, looking at, these, looking at these photos from what I can see, a lot of them look to be like skylights, you know, that you will see as advertising in front of clubs and restaurants. Um, however, the one thing that I will note in these photos, I definitely can't see the beam going up to the cloud. I just see the actual light in the cloud. But uh, nonetheless, it's interesting. Take it for what it is. Um, you know, definitely have a look if you'd like. Again, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can have a look at this and see what you think. So, without further ado, over to the life and times of Charles Ford. So, the key question here, really, for most of you will be, who was Charles Ford? Who was this man who influenced myself and everyone from Jacques Vallée and J. Allen Hynek to Stephen King? Yes, for you, those of you that don't know, Stephen King actually wrote about uh, Charles Fort in Firestarter. He, 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 he suggested that uh, the antagonist of the novel, the, the young girl, I'm sorry, I can't think of her name off the top of my head, but he suggested it may be good reading for the parents to read up on some of Charles Fort's works, which is uh, quite, you know, it's, it's quite funny when you look at it. He's basically saying, uh, I don't know what to do, um, but, but this man wrote about some really weird stuff. Why don't you have a look? So Charles Fort spent 26 years of his life, 26 years. Most people today, they don't spend 26 years in one job, and a lot of people don't spend 26 years married or even with one partner. So 26 years is, uh, is a long time. He spent 26 years compiling documented accounts of scientific anomalies in the press of his day. Charles Fort documented reports of sea monsters, out-of-place artifacts, Sky falls, so fish, red rain, frogs, coffee, among other things that fell from the sky. Uh, UFOs, which he referred to as aerial phenomenon. He documented the first modern case of what what most people call the first modern case of a UFO from 1779, among many other topics. Fort was the ultimate nonconformist, and he paid a heavy price in, in poverty for most of his life. I'll take you through his life so that you can hopefully better understand some of his maverick ways and what made him tick. Charles Fort was born in 1874 in Albany, New York, to Victorian parents. Charles was of Dutch ancestry, and his mother died when he was four. He had a very strict upbringing. His father was quite the dictatorian. His father remarried when Charles was 13, and once Charles and his brother were too old to beat... His father had a solution. He locked them in a small windowless room and starved them until they did as he said. So again, back at this time, Victorian world, uh, not just England, but all over the world, uh, children were meant to be seen and not heard. And basically, the only time that the authorities were going to get involved was if you had something like a murder or, you know, something quite obvious. They pretty much left the parents to raise their children. So uh, Charles had a very strict upbringing. He enjoyed church, but he often got in trouble for shooting spitwads at bald-headed men in the congregation as well as small children, and he was often beaten by his father for not showing due reverence while in church. He was a self-aware boy, though, and later he said that if he did not confess his sins, he couldn't sleep at night. So, for all of Charles's bluster and maverick ways, he did deeply care about what he may do to wound others or perceive slights. Charles had a keen interest in science, but he lost faith in it when he witnessed a series of failed experiments that his teacher made. He wanted to be a naturalist, so he collected seashells, he took to hunting birds and stones. The birds he would, he would shoot with his slingshot, and then he would preserve them and catalog them. Although he was a pain to his teacher and a real devil's advocate in the classroom, at home Charles was a voracious reader. He was self-taught on many subjects, and he really enjoyed things such as language, natural history, geography, and taxonomy, which is the classification of organisms. So you can see here with Charles, uh, for all of his maverick ways and all of the underdog mentality, there was definitely something that he believed in classifying and structuring, and that was his research. The shining light of his encouragement in his early years was Charles' uncle, John Hoy. John mentored young Charles, encouraged him to read and write, and also would sneak in money whenever possible, much to the anger of Charles's father. In due course, Charles forced his way into the office of the Albany Democrat newspaper. After a few false starts, because of the fact that Fort's writing style at the time was far from easily understood, he was assigned to covering the local courthouse. Now, for many writers of the day, this would have been a boon, This would have equaled success, but not to Charles. It actually bored him. Although it brought him a steady income, he didn't really like the life of covering courtroom antics. So he took up smoking and drinking. The following year, when he was 18, Charles' father died, and he was sent to live with his grandfather. Much to his grandfather's annoyance, Charles increasingly spent his time drinking, smoking, and carousing with, quote, fallen women, unquote. So again, at this time, Victorian life was quite strict and disciplined. If you had a broken engagement, if you had had uh, sex out of wedlock, or you were divorced, or had had a child out of wedlock, you were considered a fallen woman at the time. But these were the types of people that at that time in his life especially, Charles really felt open. He, He felt that he could communicate with these people because they weren't bound by the strict... the the strict structure of society at the time. Charles was highly unsatisfied with this project in school, so he just quit. This allowed him to focus on editing full-time. Soon after he he quit and went into editing full-time, a couple of writers who had worked for him before started their own venture. This lasted for a couple of years with Charles as the editor, but soon this paper went out of business And at this time, Charles decided uh, what better time than to use his $25 a month allowance from his grandfather to travel the world. In Fort's own words, he wanted to accumulate an experience and knowledge of life that would fit me to become a writer, and he wanted to put capital in the bank of experience. Charles then spent the next two years in this endeavor. He traveled from St. Helena Island in Africa to cold and windy Nova Scotia. He traveled from England to New Orleans and many points in between. When he returned to New York in 1896, at the age of 21, Fort wrote, 30,000 miles and nothing more to see. During his time in Africa, unfortunately, Charles contracted malaria. When he was back in New York, he ran into Anna Filing, who he'd known since he was 13 and she was 17. And lucky for Charles, she dutifully nursed him back to health. In October of the same year, they were married and only separated upon Charles' death 35 years later. So, as with all of us, Charles had some character flaws. There were some things that he wasn't so good at in dealing with people, but he was definitely a loyal man. He stayed with his wife until the day he died. Upon returning from a very modest honeymoon in Maine, the couple lived in poor tenement housing in New York City. Charles scraped by by writing articles about anything he could be paid to do especially his destitute neighbors and life in the slums. He gathered together 25,000 notes on different topics before deciding that they weren't what he wanted, and he destroyed them all in a fire. This would become a recurring theme for Charles. So imagine gathering two or three years worth of study for a doctorate or a thesis, much more in this case, 25,000 handwritten notes and then deciding you don't like the way that they're ordered, you don't like something about them, and you just decide to burn them all and start over. But this was Charles Fort to a T. If he didn't like the way something was structured, he'd start over. Charles and Anna lived in poverty for 20 years. It was so bad that he couldn't look for work when it rained, as his shoes were so tattered when it rained, his shoes would fall apart. He had to break up chairs and other furniture for firewood, and Charles was a frequent visitor to pawn shops in between his pay to make ends meet. During this time, Charles created a new collection of notes, this time numbering over 40,000, and he began to find a pattern in his data. His later biographer described him during this time as, Built like a walrus, an utterly peaceable and sedentary man. He lived quietly with his wife, hardly went out, hardly had visitors. He had no telephone, nor want of one. He usually spent his mornings working at home, his afternoons at the library, and his evenings at the movies, which he took his wife to whenever he could afford it. So although Anna wasn't literary, she wasn't a reader, it wasn't something she enjoyed, she had a lifelong love for movies. So any time that Charles had the extra money, he would always take her out to the movies. It was one of her small joys in life, and he did his best to keep her happy. Now Charles in his life wrote 10 novels, which is pretty amazing because most writers will tell you writing one is is very difficult, but Charles wrote 10 novels. Now only one of these 10 novels was ever published. It was called The Outcast Manufacturers, and it was about life in tenement slums and uh, the poor part of New York. It was published in 1909. Now it was very well received amongst critics, but it never got the attention it deserved, and it was, for lack of a better term, a flop. Charles then resumed his grand tour of the world, this time by scouring the world's newspapers for articles that piqued his interest. He filled shoeboxes with notes that he took in his own style of shorthand. So again, back to the notes. By 1915, Charles had collected several tens of thousands of notes and began work on two books, one called X and one called Y. Charles had by now become completely disenfranchised and frustrated with the publishing industry and by degrees he had also lost all faith in the scientific community. Charles came to the opinion that in science there were only true believers and cranks, and thus he became a crank. In the book X, Charles proposed that life on Earth was being controlled by some force on Mars. This may sound strange today, but at that time it was a common theme and part of the scientific uh, background for most, most people. All things like the canals on Mars and Marconi believing that he he received radio communications from Mars at this time, it was nothing strange. It would be nothing more strange than someone believing that alien alien creatures from another galaxy or another solar system may be influencing Earth now now in in his book why Charles postulated on an ominous civilization that was based at the South Pole that was also influencing mankind. Now folks, where have you heard of this? For those of you that know H.P. Lovecraft, that sounds an awful lot like At the Mountains of Madness. However, in this instance, he couldn't have been influenced by Charles Fort's writings, and I'll tell you why shortly. So in 1916, at the age of 42, Charles' uncle died and left him a share of his estate. This allowed Charles to no longer have to earn a living, and it allowed him to focus on his theories and writings. After having the manuscripts for both X and Y rejected by several publishers, the process had so disenfranchised Charles that he burned both manuscripts. So this is why I say that uh, there's no chance that H.P. Lovecraft was influenced by this, because it was never published. Charles then began work on the Book of the Damned. He decided on this title as it covered data that was ignored, suppressed, discredited, or explained away. Again, does that sound familiar, folks? It's definitely something that if it doesn't fit into science's science's hierarchy, things tend to disappear. It's something that we've heard time and time again in different things, especially with ancient mysteries and out-of-place artifacts. In the Book of the Dam, Charles postulated that if there are unsuspected patterns in the universe, they can be found in data that does not fit the known patterns. Charles did not trust established patterns, and he went so far as to question Euclid, Newton, and Darwin. And at that time, that was considered heresy by science and by society in general. So uh, that did no favors uh, to getting him the fame and uh, acclaim that he wanted as a writer. In reviewing the book in 1919 after it was released, Ben Hecht, who would later become a famed screenwriter, stated... I am the first disciple of Charles Fort. Henceforth, I am a Fortian. So that's where the term Fortian came from. Was from Ben Hecht in 1919, during Charles's life. Well, Ben Hecht, I too am a Fortian. So I've never forgotten that quote. The book of the Dam marks the beginning of the works that Charles Fort is synonymous for for being involved with. He continued to question and reject authority. His issue was with the narrow viewpoint that science held, not the scientific methods themselves. Charles stated the inspirations will be mine but, but the data will be for anyone to form his own opinions on. Sorry, the interpretations will be mine, not the inspirations. The next year, Fort fell into a deep depression, and he again burned his massive collection of notes, which was well over 40,000 and realistically more between 60 and 70,000 notes at that point. In 1921, Charles and Anna set sail for London and they lived eight years very close by the British Museum, where Charles could walk to each day. He again embarked on his grand tour. In 1923, Charles's second book, which was a follow-up to The Book of the Damned, was published. It was titled New Lands, and it was both the least successful and most bitter of his books. This book had a heavy emphasis on astronomy, and in it he openly attacked astronomers who he believed are, quote, led by, led by a cloud of rubbish by day and a pillar of Bosch at night. So as you can see, he was uh, not, not very impressed with the scientific community by this point. By 1929, Charles had returned to the U.S. and to New York to begin work on Lo, which was published in 1931, and began to un- uh, explain the underlying oneness that he had discovered that permeated his data. For example, Charles found that aerial phenomenon like lights, storms, and meteors corresponded with earthquakes, too infrequently to be chance. Charles completed wild talents which further sketched out these connections in 1932 as his sight and health gradually eroded. Only weeks after the publication of Wild Talents, Charles was admitted to the hospital on May 3rd, and he died within a few hours of admittance. He left behind 60,000 handwritten notes, which are now housed in the Rare Books Department of the New York City Public Library. Now, folks, if that doesn't sound like the dutiful scholar, I don't know who is. Charles Fort led an interesting life, and as I say, he's really influenced some of the big movers and shakers in the paranormal and um, strange strange and anomalous uh, collections of things. I personally uh, am intrigued by what would have happened if he would have published those books X and Y. What was involved there? Would have it taken him away from the the stories that uh, we have now, you know, the accounts that, that he set down from the Book of the Damned and Low and, and Wild Talents? Would have it taken him in another direction? We'll never know the answer to that. In the next episode, I'm going to cover over some of the um, people and fields that Charles Fort impacted. As I say, he's not an overly well-known name, but he's definitely had a big impact on the world in general, on paranormal, on some of the strange strange sciences and, and sightings, especially in the UFO field. So I hope that you'll look forward to that next episode going to keep it a bit brief tonight folks so I'm going to sign off now but I wanted to end tonight's program with a quote from Art Bell and the quote goes a mind should not be so open that the brain falls out however it should not be so closed that whatever gray matter which does reside may not be reached and with that I wish you a good good evening good morning wherever you are and take care